Good to have all of you here today. Well, today is Mother's Day, if you forgot. <laughs> Trust you didn't. goes back to Anna Jarvis, a Methodist lady back in 2008 who wanted to have a memorial service for her mother. And the very first one she had, she gave a, a carnation to every person who attended and had a sermon preached. Um, in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson, number 28, and uh, by the way, the most educated of all of our presidents. Did you know that? Woodrow Wilson. Well, trivia, pretty useless, but just in case you were wondering. Anyway, he declared that the second Sunday in May would, would become Mother's Day, and since then, we have celebrated it. And it's really important, and because every, every person here has, has, has a mother, and so it's, it's very relevant. And yet I, I have learned through the years that this is also a, a uh, can be a weighty, a weighty day. And so let me just get this out front at the very beginning, that I, I recognize that there are some of you who long to have a child and you cannot. Some of you have had an abortion and you live with that choice. Some of you have lost children, and this reminds you of that day. Some of you have lost your mother. Some of you never knew your mother. Some of you have such a train wreck of a relationship with your mother, it brings pain for you just to think about the whole concept. So I'd like to just go ahead and get that out and open and go ahead and pray for all of you and ask God to help you lay that aside and catch the truth of today. Um, in the midst. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our mothers. I mean, we literally wouldn't be here today uh, without them. Thank you. And I pray for the women among us who carry special burdens today, that they would find forgiveness and healing, whatever they need from you, that you would bring hope that you would bring a sense of care and peace. In the words of the psalmist, may they know you as their hiding place, and may you fill their hearts with songs of deliverance. Wherever they've been, whatever they're going through, your grace is greater. So, minister to them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, again, a big shout out to Evan Morris for drawing these last week. If you were here last week, you know we, we used these. And uh, yeah. And, and, um, and a shout out to, to, to Lisa and uh, Nate for putting together that Johanny uh, video that we had at the very beginning. Wasn't that powerful? Uh, the difference that sponsoring a child made in one person's real life today as an adult. Wow, good to see that. Thanks for those that make things happen around here. We want to talk, we want to build on a little bit from last week, and, and I appreciate what Tina said so much this morning about your identity as a child of God, and that is, and that, is, that has got to be our core identity, and we go back to that. That is, that is first and foremost, is our identity as a child of God, apart from any roles that we have, anything that we do. You love your children just because they are. Our Father loves us just because we are. 
So last week I talked about, and, and this is a two-week series in the second part of it that I've entitled The Parent-Centered Home. And last week I talked about how that you need to give more attention to your husband-wife relationship than you do to your parenting relationship. And that healthy homes, healthier homes are where a strong, secure husband-wife relationship cascades, overflows into your parenting and that a strong relationship as a parent with your children does not always cascade over into a good relationship with your spouse. If you want to have a strong home, uh, you take care of your marriage first, and then you take care of your kids. Now, we want to take care of our kids. Now, don't misunderstand me. And I want to talk some about parenting today on this of all days of Mother's Day. So, so if, you're, if, you're, uh, you know, if you're here today and you're not married, one day you might be married, so pay attention. Or you may know somebody who's married, or you may be an aunt or an uncle. Uh, there's probably lots of ways you can apply this to where you can take this information and encourage someone else, so, so pay attention. We're going to talk about parenting today. Parenting, is, parenting I think, is, is difficult. I think maybe we make it into more than it is, but it is relatively difficult. Someone said, uh, especially with small children, that parenting is like trying to, to nail jello to a tree. It's just hard to get your hands around it sometimes, you know? And that, that parenting is like uh, juggling balls, um, and they're all screaming. So if you can relate to any of that. So hear me today. I want to talk to you about parenting. I want to talk about this, that you are to love and encourage, nurture and care for your children. Now, hopefully you knew that, but I want to remind you that. You're to do that. And, and, don't miss this, and you're also to be the authority in the home. The fact of the matter is someone is going to run your home. Somebody's going to run your household. It can be the parents or it can be the children. And, and I've seen homes where both of those things have happened. And so today I want to talk about this. And again, if you're not a parent, pay attention. And let me say this. If you're a single parent here today, God bless you. You carry a heavy burden trying to be mom and dad and, and all of that with your children May God bless you and provide other, others that come along. So, Evan, good to see you. We already clapped for you. <laughs> All right. You know, I want to talk, I want to talk about what, what does the Bible say about parenting? The first is from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, if you remember that passage, you're saying, I've heard of Exodus 20. It's the Ten Commandments. What does it say in the Ten Commandments? Well, for those of you who are children here, what does it say to you? Well, it has a very direct command in verse 12. It says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. In the New Testament, it tells us that this is the first command that was given with a promise. Honor your parents so that you may live long in the land God's going to give you, the place God's going to put you. So honor your parents. But before there's an interesting passage in verses 4 through 6 of Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, does that distress you? 
Does that sound unfair? He says there that he punishes to the third and fourth generation those who hate me, and he blesses those to thousands who love me. What about that? That seems, does that seem fair and right that, that it happens to the children for the sins of the fathers? Well, this is one of those biblical tensions. If we had time, and we don't, but you can read this on, on your own. In Ezekiel 18, the Israelites are complaining that they're suffering for the sins of their fathers. And Ezekiel basically told them, quit your whining. And he talks about that you bear your own sin, the soul that sins will die. You choose. So there's a tension here between the parents have a consequence for us, but we choose as well. And that's why sometimes we will see that God rewards good sons of bad fathers, and he punishes bad sons of good fathers. So how do we reconcile that each man must bear his own burden and the generational blessings and curses that we see in Exodus 20? And I don't think we reconcile them. I think we live with this tension. We do suffer. We do suffer for the sins of our parents. In a very real sense, they have shaped us, and we cannot get away from that shaping. The other side of it is we each individually are responsible for our own souls and for our own choices. And we can't get away from that either. I guess I'm saying to you, if you have great parents today, that doesn't make you right with God. You cannot ride on the coattails of your parents' folk, uh, your, your parents' faith. But on the other side is, if you had bad parents, that's not a get-out-of-jail card free either, okay? You can't say, well, I had bad parents, and so God's going to let me off the hook there. No, you have to take care of you. Always attention between generational blessings and curse and also the individual responsibility. Some other verses in the Bible about parenting. We're going to cover several. Deuteronomy Chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in your, on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. This is the Old Testament passage I think speaks most directly to parenting. And it just says that we are to imprint upon the lives of our children our faith. It is our job if we have a faith in God and faith in Christ, we are to impress this upon our children. We're to talk about it. We're to, we're to write them on our... This is why you see some of those Jewish people, those little what they call it, phylacteries or whatever, with the things written they carry on their wrist and their headbands and all that. They, they're literally obeying this. And sometimes if you go back to religious homes of yesteryear, they'll have Bible verses on their door frames. It's an obedience to this. It's the idea of keeping before your children what's really important. And you keep pressing in what's really important so they get it. So they get it. How about in the New Testament? Our text this morning, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
It is the parent's job to bring our children up in the training and instruction in the Lord. Parents are to set the direction of the home. We are to be assertive in training and instruction, and our children are to submit to the leadership of their parents and to honor them. About 10 years ago, we used a a DVD series here at the church, maybe it's 15 years ago now, I can't remember, called Parenting on Purpose. And I don't remember a whole lot from it, but I remember a little bit. Some, do some of you remember that ICE plan, instruction, instruction, consequences, and then exercise the plan? In other words, give them instruction, tell them there'll be consequences if they don't do what you say, and then exercise the plan. Do what you said, which is what we're supposed to do, what we say. But anyway, what, another thing he said in that is that the goal of authority is to set boundaries so the family can function. Good work is making order out of chaos. Good work in the family is creating order where there tends to be chaos. And if you have children, you know what I mean about chaos. And we need boundaries to do this. And perhaps it's intuitive to you today, and I think it should be, it sure makes a lot of common sense that the, the wisest and the most mature components of the family hmm, ought to be the ones that are setting the boundaries and are the authority in the home. Wouldn't you think? Seems intuitive to me that we would think that. They should be the ones that set the boundary because they're going to do a better job. So not to mention the fact that the Bible gives this mandate that we are to train and lead our children. And I, I, I have a vision. This whole generational blessing that I was reading about in, in Exodus, I get jazzed about this every time I read it because I have this picture in my mind. I have this long-term legacy vision. And I, and, and I just think about some of you with little children who have found the Lord and you're following the Lord and some of you are pregnant and you hadn't even brought these children in the world and you go bring them and they're gonna and you're gonna train these children up in God's ways and, and you're gonna impress upon them your faith and they're gonna find the Lord and their lives are gonna be dramatically different and they're they're gonna marry Christian people and their marriages are gonna be different and their children and your grandchildren are gonna be different because of a choice, a decision to lead your home and to train your children and to be invested in them to your grandchildren and to your great-grandchildren. May you live to see your great-grandchildren and may you live to see them follow God. That's the kind of vision that I have and it's, it's, it's just it's powerful when you think about this gripping us. Let me talk about parents, though. I want to challenge you parents today because I, it seems to me that parents seem to slide to one extreme or the other. Somehow we miss the balance. There's the absent or neglectful or abusive parent who creates great pain in the life of their children. Let me tell you about these kinds of parents. Their children, when they grow up, they don't do what it says in, in, in Proverbs 31. They do not call their mother blessed. They do not call their father blessed. They say things like, you never talked to me, or you never came to any of my activities, or you were never there for me when I went through a crisis. The only time I got any attention from you was when you were angry at me. The only things you ever said to me were negative and critical. You were always at work. You were always doing your hobby. You were always doing your stuff. 
In fact, it felt like at times your goal in life was to make me feel miserable. And, and, and I hate to say it, but some of you, some of you had abuse at the hands of your parents. And I'm not going to ignore that. I, you, you, you were abused maybe physically, sexually, emotionally, verbally. And I'm sorry for that. And I, let me just challenge you, if you're carrying that around, see a Christian counselor. You don't need, that will, that will stick in you. And that will hold on to you. And, and you need to find some way to move on and to get unstuck. So these are the, 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 the parents who fail because they're, they're absent, neglectful, and abusive. And we, for people who grew up in homes that they were abused, we as a church, we need to bring a lot of grace and compassion and love to folks who are like that. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is what I call the overly involved, extremely engaged parent, obsessive parent. Not a parent, really, but a friend, a buddy. Uh, Felix Carroll, a contemporary writer, wrote in a newspaper article, you're too obsessed with your children. You treat them like little princes and princesses, like they're number one, like they're MVPs. You've painstakingly planned their lives from their first play date to the first day of college. You inflate their egos. You give them graduation ceremonies even when it's just from preschool. You give them a trophy at the end of the season even when they lose. You shuttle them from soccer practice to clarinet practice to karate and because they're going to be, go to a great college to SAT prep classes. And this is what I have preached on before and I will in the future probably the child-centered the child-led home and our children are very important and we love them and we're to nurture them but they are not to lead the home when the child becomes the focus and is made to believe that they're the center of the universe by obsessive parents it produces some negatives and I want to give you a heads up number one you're teaching them that they're the most important thing in the universe. You're teaching them they're the center of the universe, which is, by the way, teaching them to be selfish, teaching them to be unhappy, and you're just making it harder for them because one day they're going to face the harsh reality that not everyone is like their parents. There's other people in this world, and the other people in the world do not think they are the center of the universe. I mean, they go to college and they have some roommates who were raised by the same kinds of families and they're all trying to be the center and how's that going to work out? And they get married and their spouse was raised that way and now you have two selfish people trying to live together and that does not work well. It may not even work at all. Teachers, professors who are not impressed just because you are, your parents may be, but they're not. They expect you to do the classwork. I'll never forget flying somewhere, and I was sitting on a plane, and I got talking to this lady sitting beside me. She was a professor at Florida State University, and, and somehow we got talking about parenting and young people today, and she said, you're not going to believe this. I have, a, I have a, a student in my class. She's a senior. She had to take this course to graduate. Uh, I gave her the syllabus and said, this is the requirements for the course, like everybody else in the first semester. She just didn't do the stuff. 
and she's on, she was on track to graduate and already had a job lined out and all this stuff. And so she came in. Her parents called me up and they said, we, we can't believe you're going you're to fail her for this course because she didn't do her stuff. Really? So I think a child-centered home is dangerous because you teach them they're the center of the universe. And the second thing is, it puts an incredible emotional burden on the child. Because you see, this kind of parenting yields the center of the, the emotional center of the home to the children. In other words, the, the home can only be as happy as the children are. Are you, are you tracking with me? If they're not happy, nobody's happy kind of thing. And, 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 and when you give them the keys to the emotional center of the home, it creates chaos in the home. And, and you hurt them. Children, children can't be responsible for the happiness and emotional balance in the home. They don't have the maturity. Children are all over the scale. I'll never forget a conversation I had a few years ago with someone who was in their 20s. And, and this woman grew up in a home that was like this. The parents, she and her sister, were the center of the home. The parents revolved around them. It was centered around them. And so what would happen is something would happen and she would be upset. And then her parents would be upset because she was upset. And all of a sudden, then her parents were mad at her, okay? Mad at her because she was upset and it was disturbing their lives. And they had yielded their happiness to the child. Now, we all want happy, healthy, emotionally balanced children. I'm not saying that. But there's a sense in which our children are going to go through the same vicissitudes of life that we go through. And, and, and we, somebody, somebody needs to man up in the home and control the emotional center. I remember our oldest son who was very strong will, and he would have done this. He would have he would have hijacked the center of our home. And I can remember sitting down with Connie and just saying, We can't let this happen. We we can't let this happen. I am not gonna let him control whether we're happy or sad in our home. I am not gonna let him hijack our house. And 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 I think this is huge. And I think not only does it hurt you as a parent, it hurts your child because you're giving them a burden to bear they shouldn't have to bear. You should, you should maintain the temperature of the house above that. Now, sure, there's always seasons of life when you're having trouble with a child or whatever and disrupt, and it's, and, it's, and it's hard. But in a very real sense, we have to say we are not going to succumb to that. We're not going to go on this roller coaster of emotions with our, with our, with our teenage children. Our younger children. Put your marriage first. That, and that goes back to honoring that, keeping that first. The number one confidence builder for children is the security of your marriage. You take the pressure off your children, provide the family emotional center. You keep it in the right place in terms of maturity and wisdom. And parents, you get to choose. Now, and, and, and always trying to keep them so nothing ever hurts them or they never have any pain, don't do that either. Let them have some pain because that's life. And they learn how to deal with disappointments while they're still in the security of the nest rather than you protecting them from everything. Don't do that. Just don't do it. It's important for you to lead in the home. Three quick reasons. One is God's pattern and God's plan. You need it. By the way, you need it to maintain sanity 
to create order out of chaos. And third is your children need it. Even when they don't think they do, they need a home with boundaries. Children feel safe with boundaries. You all know the story of the, the playground where they didn't have a fence down by the street and the children all huddled up by the building or whatever. And then they put a fence down the street and then the children would go all over the playground because there was a, they were safe, there was a fence. You, parents, provide the fence. You provide the boundaries. John Roseman said it this way, essential to a child's sense of security are parents who are authoritative, decisive, and trustworthy, in a word, powerful. So I just want to go ahead and deputize you today to be the authority in the home. I think it's pretty commonsensical but to me, but it seems as though parents are afraid to be the authority, to expect their children to obey. And let me say this, I, I've, I've watched some of you around here with your children, and some of you deserve gold stars, because I've watched you with your children, and when they get out of line, you correct them, and you stay on task with them until they respond to your correction. Which, by the way, is another thing I say. I see parents that say things to their kids, and then they go get off distracting something else, and the kid goes off and does whatever they were going to do anyway. If, just, just, if you tell your child to do something, Stay engaged and stay on task until they do it. Or, or either don't tell them. I mean, you know, it's a choice. But if you're not going to follow through, you're doing more harm than good by telling them, don't do that, I'm gonna, you'll be consequences if you do that, and then ignore them and go do something else, and then you don't do what you said you were going to do. Again, I, I, I raise strong-willed children at my house, and I know it is not easy. And it was not always easy for Alan Connie, and I don't mean to give any illusions today that it was, okay? In fact, somebody reminds me that we were going through our teenage years when we first got here. I didn't talk as much about parenting and marriage as, as I do today. Because <laughs> I was still waiting to see if it was going to work out, you know? And let me just tell let me just tell you our philosophy that even when we didn't see it working out, we just kept we just kept we just kept hanging on to the word of God and the truth that we knew. Because we didn't know anything else to do. Even when it does and, and sometimes you do that. You keep you keep doing what you know you need to do, even if it doesn't look like it's working. Because we know it's right and we know it's true. So anyway, be the authority in the home. You're going to teach your children. You're going to help. You're going to give your you give your child. You're going to give your children a great gift if you teach them that there are authority structures in life, and it starts with you. Because then, when they go to school, it's going to be easier. When they deal with the coach, it's going to be easier. When they deal with the umpire, it's going to be easier. When they deal with the policeman, it's going to be easier. When they deal with the school teachers, when they deal with their employers, and ultimately when they deal with God, because God's the ultimate authority. And we shape how they see authority by the way that we parent. So, let me leave you, let me leave you with uh, some parenting axioms today. Take them or leave them. Number one, expect your children to obey. Stop apologizing for decisions you make in their lives. Number three, because I said so is a good enough reason. Now, let me say this. Um, th to be honest about this, that, and especially with children that are pre-adolescent, 
children that are going through adolescence, I think it's healthy for you as parents to give them some reasons. I think as ch- because, you're tra- you're tr- because you're coaching and you're training, I think you give them some reasons. When you have little children, I think because I said so is, is a good enough reason. That's, that's, I don't, because, because number, the last fact to them is stop thinking that you can persuade your children that your decisions are for their good or even that you need to try. You know, when, when children, you know, you know, when they're six years old, you can only persuade them so much and, and, re- and reason with them because they can't see, they can't see the big picture and you can, you're the adult, you're the adult, it's okay to be the adult, it's okay to be the parent. So take them or use them. So I'd like to honor our mothers as we close today. I'd like to pray for all the mothers here. So would you, all the mothers, would you stand wherever you are? Let's give them a hand. Thank you. Uh, it's our tradition at our church every year on Mother's Day. We pray for these. Stay standing if you're a mother. Stay standing is that we pray for them. So if there's a mother here that is significant to you, if you would reach out and touch them right now, I'm going to lead us in prayer. So if you don't have a mother here today, or if you see somebody doesn't have a mother here today, you can adopt one. So everybody else stand and find a mother. Adopt one if your mother's not here. Go ahead, put, put your hand on their shoulder. My wife will be here next service, so I'll have somebody. So, <laughs> Let me pray for you. Oh, Father God, thank you today for mothers. And um, I thank you. I thank you for my mother. I thank you that I had a, a good mother, a Christian mother. Um, I thank you for the model that she was to me. And I I thank you for each of these women, and I pray that you would bless them wherever they are, whatever season of life they're in. If they're just starting out on this parenting journey, and maybe they're in the midst of it with lots of, lots going on. A lot of the stuff I'm talking about today resonated with them. It's right where they're living. Some of them are grandparents now, different seasons of life. I thank you for each of them and for the sacrifices that they made the nurturing and their unselfish hearts and I pray that they would feel a sense of fulfillment today that that out of that primary identity as a child of God one of the very important roles for them has been the love and care of a child or children and may we all bless our mothers today in Jesus name amen if you would hug five mothers before you leave today